Alright, hello, and thanks for listening to another edition of The Veritas Road. I'm Carson, back here with Murph, and today we have a fresh new face joining us. You're not going to ask me how I'm doing? How you doing, Murph? I'm doing great. Now continue. Good, buddy. Uh, fresh new face. <laughs> we got a fresh new face, either a large man or a small bear, depending on which side of the evolutionary discussion you sit on. Uh, Robert Thomas. Robert, what's going on, sir? Not much, man. I'm, I'm usually not referred to as a bear. I've got another buddy in Tulsa who's referred to as the bear. Ah, well, I mean, you've grown a beard, and you look you look kind of bear-like right now. I appreciate that. I mean, I, that's I a compliment. It's a mild compliment, yeah. but I also think it's saying I need to get back on the diet. You look good, man. Thank you. You look good. It's a good diet of LaCroix. Yeah. Sure water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so Robert, tell us a little bit about uh, your your qualifications. Um I know you've been doing a little bit of work in the accounting sector, right, for a little yeah. bit? Yeah. Um, so I know that was a really terrible introduction I gave you. So yeah, tell us a little bit. to business. Ask him a funny question yeah. and then get to business. Okay. What's, uh, what's a funny question? What's, a what's funny your question? favorite color? My favorite color? Typically, my favorite color is red, but orange is a good color. Does that Black mean you're attracted color. to you sleep in your underwear or not? Uh, I, 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 I'm going to plead the fifth. Okay. See, now that's a good introduction. Yeah, yeah I, I sleep nude. Well, I mean, some people sleep Just in like, the pants. Which I would burn up, man. It's way better for you to sleep naked, just so everybody knows. All right. Um, so, Robert, yeah, tell us a little bit about you and what you're qualified for. Sure. Um, so, uh, you guys know this, but for your listeners, um, in 2016, I graduated from Freed Hardeman University. I have a uh, BBA in accounting and an MBA in accounting. Um, whatever that means. Yeah, whatever. Those degrees. Uh, bachelor's of Business Administration and Master's of Business Administration? Yeah, yeah. I have the same thing for those Okay. Days. Yeah. So, yeah, Murph and I literally took the exact same classes. Um, but uh, so I graduated in 2016. I went and worked for a company down in, based out, down in Texas uh, that operates uh, nursing homes, long-term care and skilled nursing homes in Texas, Oklahoma, and Colorado. Um, Dang. So, yeah, pretty uh, pretty good size, little regional uh, healthcare uh, setup. And yeah. so I went down there, worked with them for about two or three years. Um, got all the uh, healthcare stuff together. So busy. Um, worked in the business offices. Uh, after that, I went to uh, I left and went to a large uh, international accounting firm. I've been working for them for the last two years, and yeah, I did. I packed up my packed up my stuff and went east. It was pretty great. Gotta love Andy um, people interrupting our so yeah. Yeah, we love it. Uh, so yeah, that's what I've been doing, and so you know, I've been a public accountant. I I've worked on state and local taxes. It's pretty good. So I had no idea what most of that. Yeah, that was a lot of information you to be honest out there. Um, Summed up. You started out in a nursing home company after free. Yeah, and for reasons you may or may not talk about later, you left. Yeah. Now you're in the public tax world, dealing with state tax law, right? Yep. yep. Interstate tax law. Uh, state specific, but yeah, typically as it relates to interstate commerce. Is yeah, that so as boring? Is that as it directly sounds. affected by the Tenth Amendment? And is that as boring? Uh, remind me which, which one the Tenth Amendment is. I just know the Commerce Clause is a big deal, and whatever I deal with. Carson pulled the Tenth Amendment. Quick, quick, yeah, quit, I can't. Quit. I don't have internet right now, guys. Yeah, you know. Um, so anyway, is that is that job as boring as it sounds? Uh, I don't think so. I love it, but I could see how somebody who doesn't know what it is would find it very boring. So, okay, so I obviously I'm finishing up a degree as. Anybody who's hopefully listening knows at this point um, in, I'm very in you, health sciences. Um, and what I'm interested in is your work in the, the healthcare field. Okay. Um, and specifically, what it was like 
you were in it was an assisted living type of home you were working in, right? So the home that I that I worked in specifically uh, was actually kind of a dual threat. So they had they had an assisted living facility attached to it uh, as one little separate part, and there's like double doors that divided it. And then there was another uh, piece that was. It had a couple of long-term care beds, so you know when you think nursing home, grandma goes there until she, you know, passes on. Right. Like had like twenty of those beds. Okay. And then the other eighty beds in that home were skilled nursing, which is basically people who go. Grandma goes and gets a knee replacement surgery. She's not like down and out. She's not going to die. Right. Um, she just she's getting some work done. She's been in the hospital. They're going to rehab her, get her up to speed, and they're going to send her home. Okay. So what? So that was that was. Truthfully, that was the bulk of our business. Right, was doing that skilled nursing type service. So not like palliative, like we're here to make you feel better until you pass on type yeah, care, but yeah, mostly no. rehab. Rehab, mostly yeah. re- mostly rehab. Um, that was what my home specialized in. Uh, and like I said, there was a small, a very small population of long term care people. Hmm. And truthfully, the reason that we had that population was because. Um, they were they were mostly Medicaid beds, and they would keep those people in those Medicaid beds so that they could have a contract with the state of Oklahoma to to get Medicaid funding, and then they would, whenever somebody else who was Medicaid came in for the skilled nursing piece, they could bill the the, the skilled nursing co-insurance from the state of Oklahoma. Um, that's a very technical term, so but basically when Medicare pays for a stay in a skilled nursing facility, there's usually a co-insurance amount. Okay. And so, what is coinsurance? So, coinsurance is what the people pay, right? Yes, that is the portion. Oh, well, of the so there, it, it's it's a portion that is not covered by Medicare. Now, people can opt to buy coinsurance that will cover that copay, and then they don't. They just pay a premium to that have insurance. that insurance, or they have nothing and they have to pay that coinsurance out of their own pocket, okay. or they qualify for Medicaid and the state will pay that coinsurance for them. So let me get this straight. Yes, okay. I know. I know. I mean, it's very technical. but You, you pay a Medicare tax for your entire, let's say you work for 50 years. Yeah. And then they don't pay for everything. No, they don't. They do not. No. So what's the point? Um, so met, so and here's the, here's the spiel I would give an old person. Okay? Uh-huh. So old people kind of have an option. They, uh, they're entitled to Medicare. And so they they will receive a Medicare card once if they work the requisite number of quarters. You have to work 40 quarters over the course of your career. Um, so basically, you have to work 10 years and work fourth, and they'll guarantee you Medicare. Uh-huh. And so and so once you've done that, um, you are entitled to Medicare, and they you become eligible at 65, and then it will last until you die. Um, and so, so if you live to be 200, yes, yes, you would still be entitled to Medicare. Okay. Um, they're probably going to audit the stuff out of your uh, claims after you get past about 120. Okay. Because the actuarians are going to be sitting there going, they were supposed to die like you know 10 years ago. Why are there still claims from this person? Yeah, yeah. Because they're going to be like, how is a 200-year-old person getting claims? Right. People audit. They audit their claims. Okay. Um, and check it all the time. But so I mean that that's what they're doing. Um, but the way that Medicare works is they're to cut costs um, and to make it sustainable, there is a piece under Medicare that is not covered. Uh, there are also parts of Medicare that a patient can opt into for an additional amount, but they don't have to. 
So that's something called Medicare Part B. And so Medicare Part B is typically uh, typically covers things like outpatient physical therapy. Mm, so okay. like if you yeah. were if you were an old person and you had just you know you had just been in the hospital and you had a knee replacement surgery and you have gone home. So Medicare Part B would be the part of your Medicare insurance that would cover a healthcare plan or like, well, that would cover a therapy plan. So if you went into just a physical therapy unit, that's the uh, piece that they would cover. How is any commoner, any common person supposed to understand any of that without having, having to pay people like you to break that down to it? That's so a fair question. Most people don't. Um, the and that that's the true problem. Everybody needs to do their own research, um, and that's the thing is it's kind of hard to do that. Um, but everybody needs to go and figure out what work, what's, what works best for them. What I like to tell old people is. You know, when you go and look at it, um, you have the option to buy private insurance. You can buy an insurance policy that will replace Medicare. Okay. Um, but the name of the game, well, the name of the game is how much do you have to spend to get to where your services, that are your covered services, because the services that are covered under a non-Medicare insurance, that are covered under a Medicare replacement policy are going to be the same level of coverage that you get under a Medicare policy typically, like the same services are going to be covered. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, typically, not always. Um, there are differences. Um, how do you get to a full level of coverage? So, like, for example, in skilled nursing, the first 20 days are completely free under Medicare. The last 80 days, you have a 100-day benefit. After 100 days, it cuts off. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the last 80 days, you pay a coinsurance. So, uh, it's a hundred and something dollars a day. Uh, it's like a hundred and eighty dollars a day. It's a, day? It's, it's a real, yeah, it's a, a real, very expensive. Um, so it doesn't take very long for that to rack up. Yeah. Um, the question is, is how much do you have to pay for your insurance to cover that remaining coinsurance, right? That, that's how I like to tell people to think about it. And whether that's in a hospital environment, a skilled nursing environment, uh, a doctor's office, What's the cheap? What's the most cost-effective way to get to where all those services are covered? And typically, what I've found is that the best way to go about it is to keep your Medicare, to buy Medicare Part B, uh, which would be your physical therapy and all that kind of stuff, uh, which is an additional premium that, that seniors opt for when they just take it out of their Social Security, uh, and then to find you a Medicare-approved Part D plan, which is for drugs. Uh, and so you would be drugs. You would cover. First thing I followed. You'd, yeah, you'd cover. You'd cover. You'd purchase <laughs> Medicare Part D to cover any drugs, and you would purchase a Medicare coinsurance policy. Wait, so so let me get this straight. Flat Medicare doesn't cover drugs. No, it does not. What does it actually cover then? Um, Medicare was designed to cover hospital stays, acute hospital stays. Okay, so if you if you I, like an infection, break a knee. All right, they hit, whatever, whatever old people do. Yes, they basically um, they think, uh, the way they think about Medicare Part A. Yeah, is hospital. Yeah, it is. It is hospital insurance. So that's our acute. Oh no, something terrible happened. Yes, catastrophic. Yeah. Catastrophic injury. And anything past that, we're gonna have to purchase another plan. Yeah, whether it's covered by Medicare or a separate insurance yes. company. Is what you're yes. saying? Yes. Okay. So, how does that factor in? to the, the quality of health care a normal person is able to receive because it sounds to me like a person who's able to afford 
who's, who's not able to afford like a like a premium healthcare service, right? Yeah. Is probably also not going to be able to afford those extra healthcare plans. So, so Medicare Part A and Part B is very common. Most of people that stay under Medicare have both, and that is usually very very affordable. Okay. Um, so that that's no, not boys. that's not a big deal. Okay. Um, the problem is um, when you start getting into the coinsurance mm. uh, and that supplemental insurance. That stuff can get very expensive. There are people that will spend $300 a month on supplemental Medicare insurance to cover all the, the other incidentals and whatnot. And now part of that, that might, that might be a combined plan where it covers the, the, the prescription drugs and their supplemental insurance. Uh, that's where it gets, can get expensive. The supplemental policies, for, especially for the drugs, the Part D plans, those are usually relatively affordable. Um, I know some people can spend as much as 100 150 bucks a month on those, um, I, but they're universal. So, I mean, you just make sure that it covers the drugs that you care about, and, you know, all the different insurance companies are going to offer you a policy, and so you just find the one that's the cheapest one that covers your drugs, and you buy that policy. Um, and so you have a lot of flexibility to kind of cut the cost. Um, and so... What, what the reason I, I kind of encourage people is to stick with this piecemeal system, right? Because that's, that's what you're getting at is it's not, nobody wants to have to have six insurance policies. Right, right. right. But while there are different parts to it, you're going to have like three parts. Yeah. You're going to have your Medicare card, your supplemental card, and your drug card. And so you got your three cards. That's it. And the reason I prefer that is because if you go the other route and you get with an insurance replacement, the insurance replacement may cover dental. It may cover your dental stuff. It'll cover your drugs. It'll cover all your therapy. It'll cover everything. The problem is they're going to stick you with all the same copays that Medicare would. Now, their copays may be less. So instead of paying $180 a day for coinsurance under a Medicare under a straight Medicare, you might pay $120 a day. Okay. But the reason I discourage that is you're still paying a monthly premium. Now it may be like fifty bucks a month, but you're, when when you have a major health incident, you're going to have to pay a significant out of pocket portion. You could have to pay a significant out of pocket portion for people that are later in life that don't have that that are depleting their savings to live. Right. I mean that that's how the system's designed. Once you yeah. retire, you deplete your savings so, yeah, until you die. Right. And whatever's left is whatever's left. That statement right there. So you're telling me we work our whole life just to pay into the medical system as we die? Um, That's the way the system's set up, isn't it? Well, no, I'm 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 talking about more like living in general, not not necessarily health care is that way, but... Well, that makes sense. You work, you know, just in life in general. As you work through the system, once you get to retirement age, you have your pot of money, and then you live off of it until you die. I mean, that makes sense. If you retire and you don't have an income anymore, you're going to be living off what income's there and depleting it at least to a degree, right? Yeah. yeah. And is that a fair Is that a fair assumption? A fair thing. I think yeah. that's a fair it assumption. It just seemed like that just came off as like we're spending it all on the medical system. No, 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 no. I, would, but, I mean, I would argue that a lot of people are, and that's a question I, I'm going to yeah. ask you later. So be ready for that. Yeah. Um, so, but, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. But, uh, so, so you have that in the police, but it tends to be easier for, for seniors who are on a fixed income. Usually they have their Social Security money. They might have an annuity. They might have some other forms of income, investment income or whatnot. 
but there are, you know, primarily these people live off of Social Security. And so when you're living off a Social Security check, it's a lot easier to have a monthly payment on your health care coverage than it is to write a $3,000 check once you had a massive health incident. Right. And, at, you know, for some people, after they have a massive health incident, you know, let's say it's a stroke. They may not be able to handle their business anymore. They may have been perfectly fine and functional. Yeah. And now somebody who was living it up can't write their name. Right. And so, you know, and then the families are all distraught because they, 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 it's an emotional, traumatic thing for the family. Yeah. Yeah. They don't know anything about their parents' business because their parents handle their own business. Right. And now all this stuff is here and they're like, well, well now we've got to pay $3,000 out of pocket and, you know, we don't know where anything is. Yeah. And so, you know, that's why I, I kind of intend to encourage people stick with, stick with straight Medicare, find your supplemental policy, pay your monthly premium, and make sure that you are buying the right supplemental policy that covers all of the coinsurances, all the surprises. You're going to pay a, a, a significant monthly premium for it, but you're going to be glad you did because when you have a $10,000 hospital stay, you won't pay a dime. And that... And it's worth that peace of mind. Because think about it. When you're an old person, you know, there's a certain point in life where your body only starts to decline, right? Your body has, has hit its peak, its physical peak, and it's only going to deteriorate from here. Hmm. Now, the speed at which you deteriorate varies. You know, you may, somebody may live until they're 80 and have no problem, and you sit there and go, they're 80? You know, an, an aged person, and then all of a sudden they may drop dead. Yeah. Um, you may also have people that hit 60 and then they have a long, you know, str struggle with various chronic health conditions. You know, you could say Alzheimer's, you could say, um, you know, Parkinson's, various diseases, and it's just right. a long downhill struggle where they're chronically fighting their health. Yeah. Um, and so for seniors, it's not a matter, you know, people at our age, have the benefit of we're healthy and realistically, you know, we're looking at, you know, 40, 50 years without having any significant health problems, you know, if we're looking at the average. Right. So that's not, that's not crazy. So for people our age, it's like, well, why do we even need health insurance? Well, once you hit a certain age, say 65, um, you're on the back nine. And so your health is only going to go one way and it's not, it's not up. It's only going to decline. Yeah. And so it's wise to be prepared and to have insurance to cover you when your eventual health decline happens. So let me ask you, what do you think about uh, health savings accounts as opposed to uh, things like insurance? Like if somebody wants to open up a health savings account at 30 and start putting money into that to save for later in life, is that a good option if they don't want to go the insurance route. Could that, you know, protect them the same way an insurance policy would? I'll be honest with you. I haven't studied those okay. super closely. Yeah. I have not. Now, granted, because those are also kind of a more recent thing. Yeah. yeah. So I haven't, the, the aged population that I dealt with, that wasn't really a thing that was around when they were, you know, saving and planning for retirement and mm -hmm. for their health. Um. I would say, I mean, I mean, so I, I never really dealt with that. Um, that being said, I believe that there are certain restrictions on those kinds of accounts. Like, okay. you have to pay it at the end of the year. Um, and so, like, like, you know, you put in a certain amount for the year, and at the end of the year, whatever you're still in there, you lose. 
Oh, wow. Okay. So I've, I've seen some things like that. I believe that's how it is with my work account. So, like, if I put in, you know, 1200 bucks into my health savings account, it won't roll over. Oh, okay. So I have to spend it or lose it. And so if I have to spend it or lose it, well, there's no – I don't want to – I don't want to put very much in a, in a health savings account. Right now, there may be other options out there that I'm not aware of where it can roll over, and if you, and if it could roll over, you know, and you don't have to worry about the tax taxability of it, because that's the big question on that kind of stuff is how much am I going to have to pay in taxes? Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, because nobody wants to have have taxable income, pay income on, pay tax on their income, put it in a savings account, and then pay tax on it when they pull it back out to cover their health. Yeah. yeah. It's like, well, I'm just paying tax. Well, you just described an IRA pretty much. I just want that. Um, I disagree, but I'll, I'm going to, we're not traditional, not Roth. Well, I do Roth. So. Yeah. Well, most people don't. Well, a lot of people don't. I don't really even know what an IRA is. Dude, you're missing out on some fun, man. <laughs> IRAs, dude. So, so healthcare savings account, in your opinion, maybe isn't the best option. Um, and that's the thing is, like I said, I don't know a ton about them. Yeah. And so okay. I, I feel really kind of, I'm very, I don't want to tell anybody, oh, you can't do a health savings account. You should never do a health savings account. Yeah. Because I don't know. Yeah, okay. I don't know what would work. Hey, I dealt, I dealt with fair. health savings accounts a little bit at the bank. And it's mostly just used for tax deferment. Oh, uh, okay. Like the, the people that yeah. are using those. Aren't using them for health insurance anyway? Okay. At least from my very limited experience. Now I only probably dealt with five of those. I would. I would also tend to agree. It tends to be. It tends to be as much or more about a tax dodge than it is about actual covering health. I got you. So let me ask you another question here because I'm curious. Um, I have heard about a couple alternative insurance plans in the past couple of years. I don't know if they still exist. Okay. Um, but. Companies subsidizing, instead of like subsidizing drugs and hospital visits, mm -hmm. they're farming out their contracts to gyms okay. and to health food stores okay. and putting these people on uh, non-clinical interventions okay. that w should produce a particular health outcome. And then the insurance company pays out X amount based on whatever health outcome this, this facility is able to provide for their clients. Um, yeah. But this facility would be like a, a functional fitness gym, like a yeah. lot of these CrossFit and boot camp gyms yeah. that are popping up, or like a a, a health food store that's uh, really catering a, a a dietary approach to their yeah. client, right? Yeah. Um, and can, can, uh, if I if I can interject, so yeah, yeah. So like a like an example would be for me, you know, in a dream world, I would lose another ten pounds. Uh huh. Um, and so if I sign up for a gym. This health insurance policy would pay out to this gym, right? If they could get me on a fitness plan and make me stick to it and lose my ten pounds, exactly. And so, if I if I achieve the health goal, lose ten pounds, they get paid, right? For, like let's say for you the lose, service, right? Let's say you lose five pounds, you yeah. They get paid X amount. You meet yeah. your goal X amount. You exceed your goal. You know, they would they would make X amount. And what do you what do you think about that as an alternative model to the way insurance is, is structured right now? Well, so there there is an element of um, outcome based or outcome based or pay for performance um, uh, fee structuring in healthcare um, in okay. in a skilled nursing environment, for example. Um, they they were just rolling that out. I want to say about 2018. They had they had rolled out or just rolled out pay for performance. In skilled nursing, and the idea behind it was, 
uh, nursing homes that achieve the specified federal health outcomes for their patients. Uh, typically, what that what that what they're measuring is what something they would call RTA, return to admission. And so, what that means is, does your patient go from Medicare, uh, go from a hospital to a skilled nursing home to home and then back to the hospital in a certain time frame? Okay. And so yeah. they would say, you know, hey, if they're returning to admission back to the hospital, that means that the skilled nursing home probably didn't do their job when they sent them home. Right. And so when that happens, they would ding the skilled nursing home and the hospital. And so both of them get dinged on it because they're going to be like, hey, y'all didn't set this patient up to succeed, and it impact, negatively impacts the potential reimbursement. And it strains the relationship between the hospital and the nursing home because the, the hospital's sitting there going, hey, we're not going to get dinged for all these RTAs because you guys aren't doing your job as a skilled nursing home, so we're not going to give you skilled nursing patients Yeah, yeah. because you guys aren't setting them up to succeed. Right. So there's all this pressure in skilled nursing to set the patient up to succeed. Um, that's good. And, that's good and, thing, right? And, and it's generally a good thing, but here's the problem with that model. Okay. So in a place like Tulsa, Oklahoma, the nursing home I was at was not even 10 years old. Um, it was beautiful. It was, I mean... It's probably nicer than some people's apartment complexes. Like, I mean, it was it was palatial. It was very nice. Probably nicer than my apartment complex. Had to go. It was it was it was a very nice place. Um, they had no problem doing a good job. That money wasn't really a problem at that facility. Yeah. Um, it was quite frankly, it was my company's probably flagship facility. Hmm. Um, what if they could have replicated that everywhere? Put lightning in a bottle and put that everywhere? They would have. Okay. Yeah. Um, the problem is. In that market, we could succeed, and we, we kicked butt on all of those metrics. And so we could do all that super well. The problem is, is you take that to a rural community. We're sitting right now in Camden, Tennessee. This is a small community. They might have one or two nursing homes in the whole, in the whole county. Right. Um, these are work, working-class people that may or may not have a whole lot of money. And so the home may have been built 50 years ago. So you're dealing with an older facility that may or may not have been specifically designed to treat and help patients recover. It may have just been designed as, well, this is where people that have nowhere else to go and can't take care of themselves go. It may have been designed as a home like that and not truly as a place of, let me help you recover and go home. Yeah. And so when you're dealing with facilities like that, the problem becomes the facilities aren't that great and... They don't have a lot of money, so they have bad outcomes, so they get paid less. So they silly stay bad, and they're not investing because they have no money. Right, right. And they get bad outcomes, and it repeats a repetitive cycle of the rich get richer and the poor get poor. That's um, heartbreaking. And so, I, I mean, that that is the concern with that paper performance model. Right. Um, now, um, my understanding is, is that CMS tried to be very careful when they laid that out because they, you know, we, I think, I, I'm with you, pay for performance is a great thing. People that are great at providing care need to be rewarded for providing great care. Yeah, yeah. And they need to be encouraged to provide that care and proliferate that kind of care and help the American people. Right. Or any or any any potential customer, any patient. Yeah. Um, but the problem is, is how are you still respectful and make sure that you're not defunding people that are bad? Because that's the thing. 
that's who that's going to impact are people in rural and small communities that can't really afford the health care in the first place, and they're going to get punished for being rural, small communities. Right, right. And so uh, CMS, basically, when they went through it, I believe that there was just a kind of a pot. So they basically said, you know, only a certain percentage of your potential reimbursement is going to be impacted. Um, and so a small, small piece. Um, but they wanted to keep, you know, the bulk of it to where, you know, like you say, it might only be a 5% five to 10% swing in potential reimbursement. Does that make any sense? Okay, so, so you're like some reimbursement, but it's yeah. not, the whole kit and caboodle isn't yeah. performance-based. Yeah, yeah. So, and so, like, there's, like, a baseline, like, you'll always get at least a certain amount. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah. So. That's interesting. Murphy, how do you think that? You've been quiet over there. Yeah. Dude, the whole healthcare system seems so complicated to me, it's very hard to follow. It, you yeah, know it so much because you were in it, but well, as, as an outsider looking in, it just seems like overwhelming. It is, and, and I'll be the first to tell you, I, I only dealt with long-term care and skilled nursing, and that is a very, I mean, that's a prevalent segment, Tiny niche, but, but, it, but it's a segment of the healthcare market. I don't know anything about hospitals. I don't know anything about clinics. Yeah. I don't know anything about, um, you know, outpatient surgeries. Um you know, I, I know some general principles. I know how the payer system works, um, which is basically your insurances and your private pays and your state state uh, insurance. Um, so I know about some basic principles, but I, I don't know anything about the business side of those other types of services. I got you. So let me let me ask you this. And this is kind of a loaded question, yeah. but I mean, does the does the healthcare model as it stands work for the people? So, that, I mean, for me, from my perspective, I think that's a pretty simple question. Um, it, no, it does not work for everyone. Um, people who are wealthy never have a problem, but people who are wealthy never have a problem in anything because, you know, money kind of flattens their path. Yeah. Um, truthfully, I would say that the, that the healthcare system kind of follows a parabola. And so on one end, you have people that are in absolute destitute poverty. On the other end, you have people that are filthy, stinking rich, uh, and it you know it goes down, so it's inverted, I guess. Um, so an inverted parabola, yeah, inverted parabola, um, and so basically just a U, it's a U. Yeah. It's on the left side, and you have people that are absolutely destitute poor. Well, if you're absolutely destitute poor, and you're a senior, you can qualify for you, you qualify for Medicare because you're a senior. You can go and qualify for Medicaid based on not having anything, right. not having any real income. And so when you have Medicare and Medicaid, everything's cover covered. Everything. I'll cover everything. Now, when you go to the other end, you're rich. Well, you're rich and you got money and you just, you know, whether you got insurance or you don't, you just write a check and you got it. The people that are in the middle are the people that are kind of getting messed over because it's like... Almost sounds like the other people are paying for it. Well... I wouldn't say that they're necessarily the ones that are paying for it. At least early it. in life. Uh, might, yeah, I mean, in theory. But in theory, everybody who's working is paying for it. In theory. Um, but these people in the middle will get messed over because they'll, you know, they'll buy insurance because they know they need to buy insurance. But the problem is, is they won't look at what the insurance is. And so they'll, they'll sit there and spend 50 bucks a month and think, oh, well, I've got this great insurance. It's going to cover everything. Come to find out, it covers about half of what they thought they were, it was going to cover, and 
the part that they were that they get assigned to have to pay is you know four thousand bucks, and it covers right. half of it. It covers half of it, and then they have to write a two hundred dollar check on top of the six hundred dollars in premiums they've been paying all year. Yeah, and then they have to their credit cards. And then they sit there and they feel butt hurt because they sit there and go, oh, "I've been paying money for insurance, and it didn't cover everything." Yeah, um, I'd be butt hurt too. Which kind of goes into the, that, that old Latin phrase, caveat emptor, let the buyer beware, um, which is what you have to do with the insurance. And, and, and a general a general rule of thumb I'd give to anybody on insurance, I, I've said this to old people, um, if your insurance doesn't cost you anything, it's probably not worth very much. There's, I mean, that's not always the case, but if you're, if you're paying money for insurance and you're not paying very much, well, when you get sick, don't expect to cover very much. That's been my experience. Yeah, insurance is basically you purchasing money, or you purchasing, it's a purchase on yourself to fail, right? Yeah. Isn't that the idea of insurance? I mean, it's that's well, kind of what so it's with, health, with health, I would agree Yeah, with so that, yeah. the older you get, the more likely you are to fail, so it just seems like a lose, 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 lose all over the place. I mean, that is, that is kind of what it's sounding like, and... I mean, that was that was actually a question I was going to ask you: Is can the average person afford insurance that actually matters? And it sounds like they can't. I would say, actually, I would say that they can. I would say that for for a senior, I would say that they can. Now, for people RA, you know, people that are working class, yeah, that's where it gets sticky. Um, now, so you're saying I, Joe's six pack once he reaches sixty five, seventy, can go out and afford. Insurance is going to cover whatever he needs yeah. as he ages and needs increasingly. Yeah. Well, the idea behind care. that would be like Medicare and Medicaid, right? And the only thing you're really paying for is the various supplements. Yeah. So yeah. the question is, you know, if Medicare runs out. Yeah, know, if your Medicare runs out, you'd be in trouble. Yeah. But Medicare that, runs out? That, so, so basically we've got, no, no, no. It's, it, this is a geopolitical question. We've almost got what you're talking about is an essentially socialist situation once you hit retirement age for those that are poor. Yes. So your faith, your faith in health care is that continued to keep going, right? Otherwise, you're out of health care. Yeah. And that's why the average person can afford it. Yeah. It's because the previous generations are essentially paying for it currently. That and the... And the uh, so you're saying that like... Well, I make nothing. So we'll take the guy who actually has a real job. You're right now paying for the insurance of the old people. Is that what you're saying? Yes. In theory, yes. That, in theory, that's uh, what's happening. That's the case. I would offer a different practicality as paying for it, but we don't have to talk about banking right now. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, so the young people are paying for the old people, and when the young people are old, the next generation yeah. of young people will pay for their health care is kind of what's going on right now. That's what you guys are Yeah, and, and another another question there, not to stray too far off, but what is happening right now with people our age, you know? What do you, what do you mean? We're not having as many kids as the elders right, been, right. that have been living. So once we reach that age, you know, who's going to pay for us if there's way less people in the workforce to fund in this Medicare? That's it's a just another question. geopolitical question. It yeah. seems to me like while it may be working at a base level on certain points, because you just described in great detail how how it does how, work. Well, on it does level, work on a certain for, level. Yeah, yeah, on a certain level. Yeah, for lower income people, it does get them health care. And you may think that health care is not necessarily good. Well, maybe that's I, a topic for later. I would. I want to. I want to talk about that but, here in a little bit. But, but my point. On, yeah. But my yeah. point, real quickly, is what happens when you run out of the payment, run out of people paying for it. 
Is there not a flaw there? What do you think about that? No, well, I mean, and that's the thing is that it, I mean, you know, it, I mean, it's a concern. I mean, like it, it's crossed my mind. What happens if there is no Medicare? What happens if you work your whole career planning on Medicare to be there and you there's nothing there? Paying into a system um, that you expected to pay out when yeah. you were ready yeah. for it. Yeah. And so, and so like, I understand that. Um, but keep the train rolling. I would, I, I, w- I would also <laughs> tell you, I would also tell you that with the way the world is kind of spinning, um, you're not going to see less government insurance. If anything, you're only going to see more. Ain't that the truth? So you're um, saying this engine's moving too mm-hmm. fast and it's too big to slow down at this point. Well, and 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 that's the thing is I don't I don't know what I don't know what holds. I don't know what the future holds. And anything, on, I'm saying right now it's pure speculation. Yeah, but uh, you know, I I don't see Medicare going away um, for seniors. Um, now, you know, are they going to pass a universal health care thing? Are they going to go down uh, some other kind of road? I don't know. And, and you know, what, what is health care going to look like in 20 years? I don't know. But I, I guarantee you this, the people that are retirement age, 65 and older, they're going to be able they're, to see it. They're, well, they're, well, they're going to they're gonna have insurance and the government's going to provide it. Okay. I mean, that's. Okay, so the, your assumption is the government will continue to provide insurance somehow. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, until yeah. until, and I you know I think I'm going to agree with Thomas here, believe it or not. Like it's still going to happen <laughs> until the whole system fails. Yeah. Well, and, and and I mean, and that's the that's the other thing. As long as our current system exists, it's gonna it's gonna function this way. Yeah. It's just now, it's just interesting to try to break it down. Well, well, the, the your truthfully, the concern for me is like. For me to be worried about Medicare not existing, I'd have to believe that the entire U.S. government system is going to collapse. Well, okay, let's hang out here for it's a second a because I want to. I want to. I want you guys to talk about this for a second. Um, we're we're talking about money right now, right? How to fund healthcare and something that uh, I've been looking at a lot lately sure. because this is uh, what is going to be my life's work: is the increasing cost of healthcare for the average person. Yeah, um, we're seeing skyrocketing rates of chronic disease in the United States. Those have been increasing exponentially um, for a long time, really since the 50s. Yeah, um, you know things like diabetes, heart disease, cancer that weren't a big concern a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Like over half of your population is getting those. Mm-hmm. Um, something upwards of 50 percent of the population of the United States has diabetes or prediabetes, like right now or will by 2030. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the potential health care costs for the average person and for the nation on a whole are skyrocketing to the point that a lot of people I've heard talk about it are saying it's going to bankrupt this country. Yeah. And so, you know, a lot of my work and focus has been on looking at how can we, how can we cure these things? Um, but my question to you is what does that mean financially, A, if things keep going the way they're going? Or B, if we do implement some kind of some kind of preventative wellness system, like what I'm working in now, mm-hmm. fixing illness with food, yeah. how can we assuage the damage we've already done to keep everyone from immediately going bankrupt? So, first that's a big question. First things first. Um, I think that we have evolved 
in the in the world of medicine to where we can, and and this goes beyond your your, your issues with chronic disease. Okay, I'm gonna address that secondly. Um, we have evolved to a, we have evolved to a point where we can we can spend more money to save a life than that life is actually worth. Does that make any sense? That's a big statement. Well, and it, it, I don't feel like that's a very crazy thing to say, um, because you could, you could, in theory, you could take a person. You're putting a monetary value on life right now. I know. That's all insurance companies do, brother. Well, I mean, that's no, huge. That's the, the, if, when the average person hears you can spend more than a life is actually, like, that, that, it, that's well, just well, a well, knee-jerk well, emotional reaction that most th- people think are going to have to that. Think about this. All right. You, this is, this is, this is a perfect example. Okay. Somebody has a car accident. They get hit by a train on a railroad track, and they lose. I mean, they magically they, they, they lose. They lose, <laughs> and they and they and they lose all four of their limbs. They become a quadriplegic. They're still okay. alive, and their brain is still active, and they're, they're mostly themselves. Okay. You're going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars just at the hospital, right? right. Amputating, healing that person, saving their life, spending money on drugs. You're then, after you've done that, you're going to spend tens of thousands of dollars to get that person therapy. Therapy then adjusted to life in a new wheelchair. Um, You're going to then spend thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, more than you would have for a normal person, just to sustain them as a quadriplegic. And regardless of what they were before they had their accident, their ability to earn an income is going to be greatly diminished. Um, and so it doesn't matter if you were, you know, a world-class lawyer, you put burgers at McDonald's. Now, all of a sudden, unless you had have the money just sitting in a bank account, you know, if you pretend that this person walked in the hospital without a dime, you're about to spend, you know, a million dollars in the next year to get this person to where they can function. Right. Not counting what it's going to cost to keep this person alive every year for the rest of their life. Right. Can this person pay in a million dollars into the healthcare system to cover their cost? Now, part of the idea behind insurance is also if you have a catastrophic accident, because all three of us have insurance, you know, if I have one that's truthfully more than what I'm going to put in, they're betting that you and Murph won't. And that you guys being healthy will cover the fact that I'm sick. Yeah, it's kind of like a pool of money. But, but that's the thing. If we have developed these 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 things like you know ventilators, like life support, like all this stuff, and we can sustain life long beyond when it's truly living. Yeah. I mean, there are people that are in comas that have been kept alive for years, decades. Um, and so you that's know true. we can sustain life indefinitely at great cost. At great cost, and you know, so what's the solution there? You know, and 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 for me as a business person, I look at there and I go, well, there comes a point where you just need to cut somebody off and, and let it go. And, cold, and you man. say and you say that, and it's yeah. very cold, but it's you know, it, it's calculating and it's it's rational. But when you reconcile that with our biblical beliefs of everybody has a soul and is made in the image of God, and that when we were you know, conceived in our our mother's womb, God knitted us together intimately. And so God knows us and made us and created us and loves us. 
And so when you kind of have that, it's kind of like, well, at what point is a person not worth saving? Um, and and, and, and that, that's such a deep thing. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't pretend to have an answer there. I don't, I don't pretend to have there. an answer I just want to make a quick comment about that. Like, that thought process you just went through, talking about the numbers and what a person's worth and can they pay it back into the system when you went to your biblical worldview, what can a corporation do? Make that second step. What do, what do you mean? My, my point is like a corporation cannot value, it cannot as an entity make valuations on souls, right? Humans are just numbers. Yeah. So would anybody consider that a problem or is it just the way it is? So I mean, that's my point. That's because we point. live in a corporate yeah. system. Right. So, right. so I, I, I think a great, this is a great segue into uh, something that we had conversations about this before we started okay. this interview. But yeah. um, uh, a great segue into alternative options uh, for a healthcare system. Um, because in the United States, we have a capitalist system. The government, you know, takes care of the old people. Put that in quotes, but yeah. yeah, we have we have a capitalist system. Um, the government takes care of the old people and the poor people. Uh, everybody else is on their own, and so typically that means that people either have insurance through their employer. Their employer provides the insurance, and they pay a, a portion of that premium. That seems to be getting worse and worse as time goes on. Actually, I mean, personally, I have great insurance with my employer, but. Right. I'm so happy for you. I mean, congrats, buddy. I mean, from what I hear, is working for me. I, I mean, I, I, I sound like a little bit like a jerk, but I mean, capitalism is working for me, man. <laughs> I love corporate America. Obamacare kind of straight from the horse's mouth. Kind of really hurt that whole situation. That's but, what I've been hearing. Yeah, uh, and, so, and so you got that piece, but then you know everybody else who either doesn't have an option from their employer or is self-employed or doesn't like what their employer has, has to go and buy their own insurance right? at whatever the going rate is. Yeah, there's a problem with that, though. Like, who sets the going rate? Like, aren't you not allowed to cross state lines? Like, compete across state lines? I'm, yeah. I'm, I believe so, because, like, I, I know, like, for Blue Cross Blue Shield in particular, like, they have a Blue Cross Blue Shield in every single state. Yeah. Wasn't that, like, one of Trump's big running... Uh, like yeah, was platforms was I'll, that he was going to abolish that law. I'll be honest, I got out of healthcare and I stopped following healthcare news. That's that's well, I mean, yeah, we should probably talk about that too. Well, talk about well, here. Why you got here, out. Let, let, let's let's go down that 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 system, that alternative system. Cause okay, because we, we're talking about we're talking about the the government. Yeah, and well, and we're we're talking about how the American system works. And I think most people kind of have an idea they they've seen it. Right. Um, and so. That's what the American system is, and so a lot. There's a big push, in particular in Congress, and particularly among the left, the left wing line of thought, uh-huh. to go to a universal health care system where the government is the primary payer for everybody. Um, single payer, single payer, a single payer system. Um, the biggest concern I have with that, and see, that's the thing is I don't pretend that the current system we have is working. I don't think anybody does. Um, I, I don't think it's working and I don't think it's the solution, but the only other alternative being suggested is this single payer system. Well, where's that been pioneered? Europe. When you look at European healthcare, yes, everyone has access, but what do they have access to? So I see, so yeah. thinking about that because what you've seen in, in countries like say Spain, where they're, they everybody has access, but they're realizing, hey, we're not that wealthy, and we can't really afford all this. Right? They had 
panels of doctors that sit there and decide, hey, can so-and-so actually afford or can we actually afford to give so-and-so certain medical treatment? Yeah, Is that a viable alternative? That's what I want to mention. That goes on in Canada. They're called death panels. You yeah. literally have doctors yeah. deciding who gets treatment. You know, Wait, so if I does. if I have like a deadly illness or something, there's a group of people who are going to decide Who's if I get likely treatment to afford or not. The treatment? Yes. Yep. That's the death outrageous. Yep. yep. And so, so they go through and they and they and they make those kinds of decisions. Uh, but the, the other concern I have is that they they kind of single themselves into a certain line of thought. They're going to sit there and say, "All right, you know, for a certain condition, there's two primary treatments: treatment A and treatment B." And so they're going to decide what the most effective treatment is. And so that's what they're going to pigeonhole people towards, these accepted treatments. Okay, so can I stop you right there for sure. just a second? Yeah. Maintain your, keep your line of thinking. I just want to... Yeah, that hurt Carson. I can tell that, that hurt me big time. Um, as somebody, so most of, my, most of my work and study is in alternative healthcare practice, right? Yeah. And, I mean, obviously here in the States, we have fantastic acute healthcare. Like if you yeah. have a really bad infection or if you break your leg or something, yeah. freaking go to the hospital, please. <laughs> um, and get it taken care of. Yeah. But as far as rub dirt on it. Yeah. Right. I mean, well, that's another story. I'm, we can I'm, get into I'm, dirt I'm later. Um, but as far as a lot of our like a lot of other conditions, like if you don't yeah. have something that's immediately life threatening, we do a really terrible job of taking care of that. Yeah. And a lot of the healthcare intervention healthcare interventions that I've studied or am studying um, aren't necessarily the the primary path of choice for the medical system, right? Yeah. And so in a world where the government takes over the healthcare system, yeah. I would be absolutely terrified because the interventions I see as being the most useful, the most practical and the most curative, meaning that you have the highest chance of curing whatever disease you have with this intervention. Yeah. Those interventions would not be the primary treatment. Um and, you know, things like diabetes, cancer, chronic yeah. heart disease, um, those would not be treated the way I would want to be treated personally. Yeah. And so I see a huge, huge problem with somebody else deciding what I can have done. Can I yeah. just make a real quick summary of what you just said? But basically you're saying, like, because right, right now our current system is already not paid for that. Right. But right. giving a single-payer system... The simple option for that may be destroyed. Would just be taken away, as best I understand yeah. it. And, and it, it could be, see, and, and my, my concern with, with the single payer system is one, um, I feel like it stifles innovation. The government is going to mandate these are the options, this is what we're going to pay, and nobody's everybody, everybody, everybody to, get on board. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that that's going to determine the quality of care. And so, you know, if you throw more money into it, sure, yeah, you know, you will get better stuff and whatever. But to throw more money at it, you have to go to the people and say, all right, we're going to raise your taxes 5 10 15%. Right. And yeah. that's never popular in this country um, or any country for that matter. But uh, so, so that, that's part of it. Um, but they're also going to sit there and they're going to choose the option. And so that's the thing. Is they, they can in, the government can then incentivize what the preferred course is. So if, let's say, for example, treatment A and treatment B. Well, in certain, you know, they, the government may say, all right, you can't get treatment B unless you've had treatment A, which means, you know, if there's a patient and they meet a certain criteria and you're like, I know that treatment B is the most effective treatment as a doctor. Well, they won't authorize treatment B until they've had treatment A. So now I have to waste time on doing a treatment that I know isn't necessary and isn't effective. 
and get to treatment B. Or you could have a situation where it's like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll agree to treatment B. It's doctor's discretion, but treatment B costs, you know, $750. Treatment A costs $500, and we're going to reimburse you $1,000. What What is that hospital going to be incentivized to treat with? Right. They're going to they're gonna prefer to do treatment A on every single patient that they can do treatment A on. That, and that's the, that's the problem we have now. It, maximize, it maximizes the profitability of, uh, of the service. Yeah. And in theory, you know, if the, if the patient gets well, it doesn't matter. Where that starts to get slimy is when you sit there and you go, well, are you incentivizing profit or whatever? Right. And, and that's the thing is, you know, then you, and, and, you know, people can sit there and try to tweak it and do whatever they want. But the ultimate thing is, is once the government gets control of all the health care, their biggest problem is going to be being able to afford it. And so they're going to be looking for every possible way to cut costs. And so whether that whether that's at the facility at, at a, as a facility thing, cut costs at the facility, cut costs in doctors, cut costs in drugs, cut costs in whatever, they're going to be looking for ways to, to, to tighten that thing so that they don't have to go to the American public and say, hey, we need more money to cover you the cost of your health care. Right. It's, it's like a two-way monster. You're going to be losing quality of service, and some people are going to lose yeah. their jobs. Yeah, that, yeah. Sounds, that sounds horrifying. Well, and so, so this, is, this is my favorite statistic. Um, when it comes to the innovation of it, um, when you look at patents, healthcare patents for just medical drugs, medical devices, whatever, and vaccines, okay. yeah, and vaccines, you're talking about that. The too. overwhelming majority of them, say 70%, come from the United States. When you look at the patents for medical devices, drugs, vaccines, whatever, that are for Products, products that are of critical life-saving nature. Does that make any sense? So, like a vaccine for coronavirus, critical life-saving, whatever, right? Um, uh huh. So, so yeah. allegedly, um, you, you, you have you have an innovation like that. Yeah, seventy percent of those patents still come from the United States, um, and so the United States is the overwhelming leader in innovation in the healthcare industry, and so. My my concern with going to that socialized medicine is that we will kill the world's best chance at at healthcare innovation, and that's the thing is you know we have we've learned so much and we we can do so much we, we we're doing so much better than we were say even twenty years ago, but there's still so much more that we can learn. Not that we can ever cure everything, you know. There's, I think, there's certain things that are always going to yeah. ail man, and people are always going to get sick. I mean, the common cold. We can't treat the common cold. That's true. Um, and it's not through the medical system. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, and that's the thing is, there's nothing we can do about a common cold. But you know, then again, we're not really worried about it because it's not going to kill us. Right. But that that being said, like that's a whole other there, there's, there's so there's so much more we could potentially do. And I hate to, I hate to cap that creativity. Yeah. Because basically, what we do is we then shut off the funding, the faucet, the funding faucet to that innovation. So you're saying that the maybe not wholly capitalist, the capitalist nature of the healthcare system that we have here in the states yes. is kind of uh, fueling the creative energy of the healthcare system. I mean, I mean, that's my perspective. 
And I'll be honest with you, there are people that on the other end that would probably argue that socialized medicine is much more effective than the way I portrayed it. Um, but I've kind of portrayed all the all the negative stuff of it. So the major perk, though, is that, you know, if you have a common ailment, like let's say, you know, let's say you're having problems with your gallbladder, you know, relatively standard thing, or, or appendicitis. Yeah. Appendix is, is, in, is in danger of rupturing, right? Well... The part to a socialized system is, is anybody in the country can walk into any hospital in the country with appendicitis and have their appendix removed and not pay a dime. Right. That's, that's crazy. Because that's the thing is when you think about the healthcare system, what do you want healthcare and insurance to do? When I'm sick and I'm in pain, I want to walk in and see a doctor and I want to feel better. That's, that, that is the greatest attribute of, social, uh, of socialized medicine is anybody in the country, can walk into any healthcare provider, say, here's my number, I'm sick, I'm in pain, I want to be treated. And that is a huge benefit. The question is, is that the outcome that's actually going to be achieved? Does that make any sense? So the cons- my concern is, is that's what, that's what socialized medicine is selling. Anybody can walk into any clinic anywhere and be, be healed. I question if anybody can actually walk in and actually be healed. Does that make any sense? Because um, that's my concern is, you know, it might work for most of the people or some of the people, but what happens to the 15% that have chronic debilitating conditions that there's not really a good answer for? What's happening to them? Yeah. Are they, are they going to be treated? Are they going to be taken care of? Are they going to be able to say, yes, I walked in and saw a doctor, and I feel like we have a meaningful plan that's actually treating my, my symptoms and, and helping control or treat my disease. Yeah. And I don't know that socialized medicine can answer that question with an affirmative answer. That, to me, is a pretty good segue into maybe a third option. And I know, Carson, you're real big on the third option. So option A is what we currently have, the status quo, the capitalistic socialized fusion that we call America. Option B would be the single-payer system of socialized European countries, basically. And then option C, don't go at all. <laughs> it's called wellness, Carson. <laughs> I mean, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, yes, that's that's the thing I'm a, the biggest fan of is... Um, all this can be avoided, right, in theory? Obviously, if you, if you break your arm and get MRSA, that can't be avoided necessarily, but... <laughs> A lot of these chronic conditions, in my opinion, can be avoided. Let's be honest. That's the big money maker. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you if you can, so (laughs) if you can medicate somebody until they die, that's going to make you a lot more money than if you have a healthy person as a patient, right? Because, like you say, doctors are paid out based on what they diagnose, right? I wouldn't say that doctors necessarily. I mean, they can be. Um, in of course, in, in my in my business, the facility got paid. The doctors were just employees of the facility. Well, right. So, well, I guess your your facility isn't paid if you know uh, Francis, who's ninety three, can still live yeah. on her own yeah, and take care of herself. Right. You guys don't make any money. Yeah. And so it's it's financially better off for you guys. Oh yeah. If Francis, by the time she's seventy three means to live in a home 
Yeah. And you can keep her just well enough to stay in that home until she's a hundred and dies, right? It is way more financially advantageous for a facility like like you were in to do that as opposed to get her well in six weeks and send her back home and give her the tools she needs to stay healthy for another 20 years, right? Yes. Now, now here's the deal. So, and this, it depends on what we're talking about, right? So, typically, the people that come in on skilled nursing, um, usually, typically, the goal is to send them home. Yeah. We Our anticipation is, is this is a short-term stay. You're going to be treated, and then we're going to send you home. Um, that's typically the plan. Now, there are patients that will come in and we start treating them and it's like, you know, like say a stroke stroke survivor. It's like, you can't, you know, you can't do your, you can't put your clothes on. You can't, you can't go to the bathroom by yourself. You can't do these functions reliably on an independent level. And so we're going to tell you now that you need to find a home. You need to find. You need to be institutionalized because you can't perform the functions to take care of yourself. And so, typically, when we when we tell people, "Hey, you need to stay in this home," you know, repetitively, you know, you know, and you know, from now on, we don't do that because they have another option. Um, because that that that's the thing is, if they have another option, we're going to tell them take the other option because our our facility in particular didn't really have beds to keep people long term. Mm, okay. And so and so people wanted to stay there long term but we didn't have beds for it. And so it's like, well, you know, you need this long term thing but you can't stay here. So we would then facilitate a transfer wherever they wanted to go. <laughs> but we've got too many of you. We need to get you out. Well yeah. So and, that, and that's just the that's just the thing. And so um, that's the that, that's the deal is, you know, a lot of at least for us and what we were doing, yeah, it was typically, you know, we wouldn't recommend that until it's like, and half the time those families were in denial. They're like, oh, no, they can go home. They can take care of themselves. Like, he can't pick up his right arm. How is he supposed to go home and live by himself and not fall and die? Like, we're just sitting there like, you're out of your mind thinking that this guy can go home. Um. And so, like, we, we, we dealt with a lot of situations like that. And, and I would tell you that my experience in my industry, yeah, more often than not, the problem was people needed to be institutionalized, and they were fighting it hmm. and trying to go home. Um, and think about it, you know. Meet somebody that says, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm so looking forward to the time in my life when I get to go sit in a nursing home. Never heard that once. Yeah, never, never heard, heard that once. You'll never meet anybody tell you that because nobody wants to go there. Now, it's a perfectly viable option, but more often than not, people fight that as long as they can, and quite frankly, a lot of times, pass when they should be fighting it. They should just give in and be taken care of. You know, that gets in the home of the discussion in the world with children. <laughs> I mean, that and just the health care that a lot of these people are receiving in the facility in general. Yeah, but we can't um, stay here all night. We can't. So we're right at an hour. I want to ask Thomas a question. Um, Okay. And then maybe you can, uh, what are we going to do? We're going to dock the ship or do we say that right Yeah, we're, we're out here on a lake. Yeah. We can dock the boat. That's true. Thomas, yeah. why did you get out of it? So the reason I got out of it, um, out of healthcare, my, yeah, my, context, please, my, my job, uh, was to collect the private pay insurance piece from old people. Um, and so. What does that even mean? 
So remember we were talking about like we were talking about Medicare and there's that there's that coinsurance piece that um, Medicare will not cover. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so for people that don't have insurance, they have to pay that out of pocket. Right. And so my job originally was to go to the facility and to call those people and say, hey, we need your, you to pay your private AP. And so, you know, there are a lot of times there are people that are like, I'm poor, I can't pay it, whatever. And so it's my job to try to collect it. If I couldn't collect it, get it written off uh, so that we can have an accurate statement of how much accounts receivable we had actually on the book. Um, and so after about a year of doing that, I got promoted to a regional financial consultant role. And so at that point, I was managing five nursing homes, and I was going to five different nursing homes, overseeing the business office, making sure they did, they did their documents right and that they were actually doing that billing piece and going and sending out those statements, calling those those uh, patients or former patients and making sure that we got we got paid Yeah, for that private piece. Okay. So... That that was my job, and the truth, the thing is, I love the people I work with. I, I, quite frankly, I still miss some of the people that I worked with. I really enjoyed the people I worked with. Yeah, but it was just a, such a soul sucking thing for me. Uh, Why is that? Because Taking you know, money from poor old people. Exactly, it seems like pretty brutal to me. Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, that was that was just one of those things. And you get to know certain people. Yeah, and of course, quite frankly, you know, once you get to pay me, then I got a little mad, but. Um, that's ninety dollars. But like, that's the thing is, it's like you know, she was such a sweet old lady, and now I have to go and call her. And yes, ma'am, you do owe me three thousand dollars. And well, I don't want to have to do it, but I'll take you to small claims court, and we'll hash this out. And oh my god! I mean, yeah, I've been to small claims court over over over, over three about. grand. Uh, it was a little bit less than that, but over less than three grand yeah look man it's taking somebody i was an accounting major too it's important to get these statements right i mean doesn't it cost more than three grand just to take somebody to court well i that, that's a whole different thing i didn't i, I thought that whole thing was no good not quite frankly i viewed it i treated it mostly as a bluff um intimidation tactic yeah. i see actually you're not supposed to threaten when you're collecting medicare balances that's a big no-no but but you did it anyway. We 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 had we I had taken people to court. Uh, usually, I would send out these nice letters on on company letterhead that would that would tell them we're going to do this, and usually that would scare them into paying me. Hey, by the way, we're going to uh, sue you. That's yeah, real nice. uh, and we would have, we would have. I mean, like my my boss was. But you're supposed to be non-threatening. She was, so she, was sweet, she was a sweet lady, but letter of the law. She was she was more than willing to take these people to court, <laughs> and I I it was just I just didn't like that man. I just, yeah. it was not. It was not good for me. I can understand. That. Um, and so that that's why I, I looked for a change and I got it. So what are you doing now? Uh, I do taxes. Woo! Fun. I love taxes, dude. It's great. Yeah, well, we've already been going for like an hour. I don't think we can go another 15 years. Yeah, we definitely can't yeah, talk about I, I, taxes, I, Thomas. I think, I, think, I think taxes is a discussion for another time. I'm not the one taking the Yo, taxes. We can have you on again. Yeah. You're just advising the thieves. Right. <laughs> I'm just advising. No, Actually, I'm not you're advising, you're the, advising, advising the victims. The people. I'm really? advising the people that aren't paying the government. Wait, what? That's, we'll talk about it later. Yeah, we'll have them on for that sounds illegal. When we're not interrupted I like by, talking about illegal uh, stuff. Bros at the lake. Yeah. For anybody who watches on YouTube, you should go out All right, guys. He did. But that's yeah. okay. That's okay. Yeah. Um, is there anything else we need to go over before we uh, stop this vote? Thomas, thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. I did. This was fun. It was good. It was good to get some answers about some of this stuff because I've been honestly, I've been wondering about a lot of the things you told us about for a long time. So it was good to actually 
Like, it's meant to be. And, and quite frankly, I mean, like, mm-hmm. I'm by no means an expert, but I'm happy to share what I know. And I, I, yeah. I, I, enjoy, I enjoyed it when I worked in there. I loved knowing about insurance and trying to help people make informed decisions right. that would work for them. You know, yeah, like, yeah, like hey, that's, I, that's what this is all about. Yeah, I like that yeah. line of thought. That's the part I can get on board with. As corrupt as the system is, at least there was a guy in there trying to help them with what they had. Right, right. Well, like, let's at least help you make whatever life savings you have go as far as we can make it go. Well, and that's and, and, all right. So here's a fundamental thing too. Like whether you like the system or not, it is the system. Yeah, it's, it's what we got. Right. And so you can either you know you can either learn the rules of the game and play the game. Or you can sit there and be mad every time somebody says, ah, penalty, that's a foul, you can't do that. And so, you know, you can learn to play the game, and, or you can be penalized. And yeah. so it's like, I'm, I want people to play the game and play the game well, because once you figure out the rules, there's no reason you can't win. Right. Or at least be in a, in a strong <laughs> position. Maybe break even if you're lucky. Yeah. For real. Yeah. That makes well, sense. Yeah, All right, guys. To run well, the jet ski. I think they're throwing footballs to each other. So yeah, yeah. I think it's time noisy. for us to back out of this bad boy. Yeah. Robert, thank you for coming on. It's been I a blast. It, man. It's been a pleasure. Um, guys, thanks for listening. Let us know what you think. Yeah. Um, if you uh, agree, disagree, got really pissed off, got really excited, whatever, let us know. Um, you can find us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. Yep, rattle them off. Uh, Spotify, Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts. We're all over. Love. You have no excuse not to listen to us. We love you guys. And, Thank you for uh, listening. You want us? We should. We need sound equipment to help muffle out this horrible background noise. <laughs> yeah. Really experiencing. Right. So, uh, Patreon and subscribe star. We want to make this better for you. That's yeah. our goal. We want a ripe product for the picking. There's another one. Got a ripe product for the picking, right? Come comparing that to a fruit. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody yeah. likes fruit. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, we will see you next time. Yep. All right. Bye bye.